What is up, COD Roadrunner Radio, and welcome to an all-new program known as the Pop Culture Pop Quiz Popcast, the brand new show where we interview several different guests talking about certain issues from the past and various media topics such as TV shows, films, music, etc., all while still begging the everlasting question, do they still hold up in this current day and age? We'll let you be the judge of that. A slight listening discretion will be advised, as your faves are most likely to be criticized. I'm your navigator and host, L, and now we shall be bringing on today's first guest. He comes all the way from Chicago, Illinois, and has proven to be quite a pop culture expert on Instagram and various social media sites. Joining us on the phone all the way from Chicago, Illinois, please give a big warm welcome to Kyle. Woo! Thanks for, oh my God, thanks for having me here. It's been so much fun. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for accepting our collect call and joining us here on our humble little campus station. In addition to all the things that you've accomplished, I take it that this is your first time being on the radio. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm like you. I'm pretty much a pop culture fanatic. I won't say fanatic, but it's my thing. And I've really been spending these last few years just kind of working in all types of fields from art, uh, music, writing, even some marketing. So yeah, and being on the radio for the first time, oh my gosh, (laughs) I hope I don't mess up. That is what's up indeed. You know, I understand the nervousness, but at the same time, you don't really have to worry too much. On this show, we're just going to have some good thought-provoking discussions in the name of nostalgia. So it's all going to be chill vibes from here on out. To start off our first question, what were some of your favorite TV shows growing up and why? Well, of course, that's the Raven, Drake and Josh. Pretty much anything that was on Disney and Nickelodeon in like the early 2000s, there's like a 90% chance I watched it. You know, that is actually perfect because the main focal point that we'll primarily be focusing on will be the 90s and 2000s era of television, which really defined a lot in our popular culture, yet still begging the question if it holds up even to this very day. With that in mind, let's get to our first topic. And that topic is living single versus friends. For those who didn't grow up in a 90s kind of world or might be a little unaware, Living Single was an ensemble cast sitcom that aired on the Fox network from 1993 to 98 and starred the iconic Queen Latifah alongside an ensemble cast consisting of Erica Alexander, Kim Fields, Kim Cold, John Henton, and T.C. Carson. The show was also airing alongside some of the network's popular flagship programming at the time, like in Living Color and Martin, setting the stone for the Fox network, which was relatively new in the competing major broadcasting channels at the time. Then a year later on NBC came the iconic sitcom that we now know today as Friends. And since most of us do know what this show is about, it really does not need a lot of introduction. However... For many decades, there has been a long ongoing discussion as to whether the two shows copied off of each other, or if it might just be nothing more than a mere coincidence. After all, they did come within a year of each other. And while the two shows definitely have a difference in its tone as well as its comedic timing, there are still a lot of similarities that are a little too uncanny to not point out. With that in mind, I want to take it to our guest Kyle here and ask him, tell us, what do you think about the two shows, and do you think they copied off of each other? Prior to this interview, Kyle and I had a really interesting discussion about how we really do love both shows, and we really don't consider one to be too superior towards the other. However, if you love something, it's important to point out its flaws as well. Now then, Kyle, what are your thoughts? Do you think the two shows copied off of each other, or might it just be a mere coincidence? Yeah, now let's talk about the comparisons. Oh my goodness. 
it's definitely not a coincidence how Living Single came on like a year prior to Friends. I remember an interview so well where Queen Latifah talked about how the president of NBC, before Friends came on, he was like asked, like, which one of these like current shows are on TV right now do you wish you had picked up? And he said, Living Single. And then slowly after Friends get picked up, it's almost the exact same concept of six friends and living in New York trying to figure out life. And I do not find that a coincidence at all. I understand your point of view very, very clearly. It's almost like the comparisons back then were a little bit swept under the rug as friends would go on to become super duper successful on an international basis while living single sort of struggled in the ratings. And a lot of that was due to the lack of promotion from its parent network, Fox. And back then, Fox Network wasn't like the same type of network that it is now. It took a lot more chances back then with its programming like Martin and I want to say Mad TV was on there. It used to be really lit back in the day. Yet at the same time, it didn't really seem to have the same type of financial backing as some of the other major networks on at the time like ABC, NBC, or CBS. It makes me question whether the show was not only held back due to the fact that it wasn't like being produced by a predominantly white team, but I often wonder if it might have had to do with the fact that had it been airing on a different network, perhaps it would have received much better ratings and promotion. Do you believe that the network it was on and the lack of promotion might have been due to the show not becoming successful as Friends? I think it might have. It had it been on CBS or something like that, it could have gotten more recognition. But the sad reality is if stuff like this happens, especially back then, it, it was very much easy to get away with dealing a concept from people of color in general. And just You could get away with that so much more easily back then. And you kind of can today, you got to really pay attention to the details to be able to call it out. So when it comes to that, it's not fair, but at the same time, I do think Living Single has reason to be a classic show in its own right, not as big as Friends, but it's still known by a lot of people. Apparently, this role really helped people take Queen Latifah more seriously as an actress because it showed that she could do different types of roles than the ones she had been doing in film. I'm grateful for that, too. It's honestly such a damn shame that there were so many setbacks behind the scenes that really prevented the show from becoming a lot bigger than it should have been at the time. It has actually been alleged on multiple occasions that the creator of Living Single, Yvette Lee Bowser, was reportedly upset with the lack of promotion from the network, and the cast member T.C. Carson, who played Kyle on the show, also got really fed up and actually spoke to the executives about it, and this is allegedly the reason why he was fired off of the fifth season. Even back then, it's almost like the creators and producers of color, as well as the actors, were being silenced for just trying to get their voices heard, and if you were to say anything, it's almost like you're just looking to get blackballed for the rest of eternity. It's so wickedly messed up because even nowadays, as much as production companies and television channels try to push for more diversity and inclusivity, there is always, and I mean always, going to be some type of toxicity going on behind the scenes that are being run by white executives, but that's the type of stuff that the industry doesn't want getting out there. Thankfully, nowadays, the internet never forgets, so of course, that is why topics like these are being more exposed and more discussed now, predominantly speaking. 
in regards to the television network itself, I do have to agree that the show would have likely been more successful on something like NBC, maybe even ABC too. But CBS? Oh, hell no. Is there a nice way of saying that CBS was going for a much more seasoned audience at that time? I mean, hello. I believe Countess Vaughn's character, Kimberly Ann Parker, once said it best on season one, episode eight of Moesha. Sipping on prune juice and watching CBS? <laughs> Um, child. Anyways, I digress. So, another interesting thing that you brought up was the fact that, like you had said, back then it was more common for ideas to be stolen from white creators by black creators. Not to make it a race war or nothing, but it is very much true because a lot of people forget how, for example, Hollywood actually kind of stole the Scary Movies franchise from the Wayans brothers as they were the ones who originally developed it, and yet they're not given the proper recognition that they deserve for popularizing said franchise in the first place. But I might save that for another episode. Anyway, if you're still with us, you're listening to the Pop Culture Pop Quiz Popcast, and we're here currently just talking about a lot of different things that have to do with cultural appropriation, ideas being stolen, concepts being curated for the masses, and whatnot. What are your thoughts on this, and do you think that it's something that still exists to this very day? What's an example you could think of that has been, like, discussed in popular TV shows or films? Yeah, I remember with something for who you just said. I remember an episode of the TV show Grownish where they can do a Chloe and Hallie. They did an episode talking about cultural appropriation. And Chloe's character said a line like, you got these white girls wearing cornrows in their head and calling them boxer braids like they invented something new. I definitely see it a lot all the time on social media. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of an issue that was brought up by the influencer Hariana Hook, big shout out to her, is that cornrows were specifically created for ethnic hair types in the three, four category. It's really hard to explain if people aren't fully aware of like the different types of hair on a hair chart. But when it comes to ethnic hair, that's where cornrows would come in handy as a specific protective style. Now, if you have straight hair, you could still do a braid. But like a Viking braid, a, a little cute Katniss Everdeen braid, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're doing cornrows to your already like, you know, silky hair, then you're just killing it in the process. So trying to chase an aesthetic that wouldn't work for your particular hair type, you are not only appropriating a specific type of culture, you're potentially killing your already fine hair follicles in the process. And the same would go for those who are excessively tanning. Girl, you are just asking for skin cancer. Moving on to the next topic, yet keeping within the same realm, I want to talk about a really iconic film franchise known as Bring It On. Okay, I really love those movies. Oh, period. Well, in that case, how ahead of its time was that movie, do you think? I do think that with the original, I could see what they were trying to do and... It almost worked. And what exactly do you mean by almost? Now, the problem is I'm glad that they they brought in the topic of cultural appropriation and like healing of Black art, healing cheerleading routines from Clover. That that might have seemed new to some of the people who saw that, that movie for the first time. They're like, no, it's, it's something that's very familiar. Now, the thing is, where, where they were wrong with it, there wasn't really a lot of screen time with the Clovers, you know, Gabrielle Union and Black. In fact, I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, I think when they showed the movie to test audiences, and they loved the Clovers so much, but were also disappointed that they weren't in the movie as much as they should have been, they had to film additional scenes 
put in the trailer to make people think they would be in the movie more. What was that about? Come on. Absolutely correct. You are indeed. They filmed those extra scenes because the overwhelmingly majority amount of test audiences was wanting more and more of the Clovers, even though the film was most likely already complete at that point. Nonetheless, the Compton Clovers were able to get the last laugh, as at least for me, when I was a kid and watching the film, I didn't really remember anything that the Toros did. All I could think of was Gabrielle Union and Black Ivory's characters, Isis, Lava, Janelope, and LaFred. Still not too crazy about those names, but what you gonna do? So they won ultimately in the end. They really did. Big shout out to the girl group Black who starred as the Compton Clovers in Bring It On. Y'all be sure to go stream them on Spotify with their hit singles Boom Like an 808, I Do, and Bring It All to Me. Speaking of girl groups, kind of shifting a little bit to another one that it's pretty iconic, yet also has a little bit of some controversy surrounding them. And that girl group is 3LW, which by the way stands for Three Little Women. And of course, these girls have been a huge part of my childhood since practically birth, as not long after, two of the members of 3LW, Keely and Adrian, would then go on to join the Cheetah Girls, one of the most iconic Disney franchises in history. What are your relationship with 3OW and the Cheetah Girls, or as we like to collectively call them, the Little Cheetah Women? Okay, okay. Okay. So 3OW, let's see. Now, I was familiar with them, but while I was familiar with the Cheetah Girls, I loved that whole franchise, the movies, the group, loved it all since I was three. But I think I discovered 3OW when I was watching the old Nickelodeon show called Taina. They guest out in the second episode, and I, I knew, I recognized Adrian right away. I did some research and found out about 3OW, which is an amazing group they did prior. They had one of the best go through with debut album in my opinion <laughs> which a lot of people probably disagree with but I don't care oh no I agree with you okay. I mean the second album is even better it's so unfortunate that 3OW didn't get as big as they deserved to be, and unfortunately the reasons why that happened was a lot to do with the implications that they supposedly had a really toxic management team behind it. All alleged, of course, but at the same time there were a lot of implications of colorism being involved, as well as some physical and violence involving a food attack that took place at none other than a Kentucky Fried Chicken. For the past 21 years, this has been one of the biggest urban myths in the history of R&B music. And to be a fly on the wall on that day and just to want to know what exactly really happened. I don't know about everyone else, but when I first found out about that incident, which had involved one of the group members, Keely, attacking another group member, Naturi, with pieces of food, what were your thoughts when you found out about that? Again, like when I found out about the ODP, I was like very young, sometimes years old. Yeah, when I first found out about that incident, I like looked up videos of what I could find. And because Adrian and Keely had the upper hand, they went on TRL and explained that their side of the story, which wasn't true at all. The story is that, no, Keely, yes, she threw her food into his face. And of course, with that level of disrespect, that caused her to quit the group. I mean, as you said, because that's really a thought. But the way they said it on TRL, they said that Chili's little sister threw the food at Miss Cody. And I believed it at the time because I was like, oh, okay, that's probably what happened. That makes the most sense. You know, as the years went on, as I find out more and more about Chili Williams being a not-so-nice person <laughs> and, like, causing a lot of drama, I'm thinking, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, this um, this is very suspicious. This is not cool. And, you know, even the person who was backing you up at the time, Adrian, is now taking the side of the victim who's showing that it's real. Well, we can get into it in the, about the colorism part uh, when I finish this segment. But yeah, it's like, it's getting pretty drama filled and pretty messy. And it's even making you kids known as the messy cheater girl. Hence why Ariana Hook's video was indeed titled Kaylee Williams, The Messy Cheetah Girl. It's such a shame because I feel like when it comes to the controversies of the past, they definitely cannot escape both the mindsets of Kaylee and the general public. Well, there have been several allegations from the Williams family of Notorious especially skipping on recording sessions and promo appearances and whatnot. None of it could ever stop the fact that people had already labeled Kaylee as being messy and a colorist. Do you believe that colorism as well as favoritism might have played a role in the group from day one? If we look at 3LW like in its entirety as a group, a lot of the songs, the, the regular formula would be Kaylee would sing the first verse and then Adrian would sing lead throughout the rest of the song and sometimes Notoria would get a bridge. So it's not equal at all. And, you know, a lot of people are pointing this out. What's really crazy is that, you know, Adrian and Notoria, both of them are stronger singers than Keely. So it was kind of making more sense. But then we get, you know, more of the lead parts because this group was like a managed by Keely's family. They found a way to, you know, make her seem important. Even having her in the middle for the a majority of the photo shoots they did, even though she's not the lead singer officially. Like you like literally if you Google like real W, she is in the middle on almost every single picture. Even in the Cheetah Girl photo shoots minus Raven, she was always in the center. Oh my God, yeah. And she was I don't know how what I don't know how because her mom got her claws on that group. Well, not to be that guy, but in my honest, not so humble opinion, I always thought it was because she was the tallest. <laughs> well, okay, that's that's a good cover up. Is she she is the tallest? Okay. Now, talk about how colorism could possibly play there. I remember they did an interview. I don't remember what, where they did it from. Where they said they wanted specifically the the members that they had. You know, a, a light skinned black girl, a dark skinned black girl, and a brown skinned Latina because they wanted every girl of color to look at them and say, "Oh, she looks like me. She looks like me, and she looks like me." so everybody can feel represented but in a way that's not obvious you're pushing two girls up over more than one other girl and she's noticing it too yeah much to the point where like it's part of the conversation of like why she left the group in the first place so when we have that in mind i do think that like most of the colorism was coming from behind the scenes Kelly williams herself she's she just seems like a messy individual who does not really uh, look out for others mostly just for herself so I'm going to say, it, with her, it might have been, like, sort of more of an unconscious bias. Because she does have issues with, like, other women and other women of color. There's a long history of that that, you know, you need to look up. So, yeah, I'm saying, I don't, I'm saying that with the unconscious bias because that's usually how it goes for most people, like, most young people. Because she wasn't the, the youngest. Most young people at that time who, like, who do have an E on them, they're mainly just thinking about 
themselves and like silly other things or like, you know, ways to be seen more, if that makes sense. Indeed, it is a very dire situation at hand. Let this be a cautionary tale to anybody who ever thought about entering the industry at too young an age, which can be very, very harmful, not to mention a perpetuation of trauma for many years to come. I know that too many people in this situation probably wouldn't feel any type of remorse or pity for the villain, yet I can't help but feel that when it comes to the sad case of Kaylee Williams, the so-called messy cheetah girl. Realistically speaking, I really don't think anybody was that messy in this particular circumstance, although I do wish that both the kids and the adults at that time probably could have had much better discussions and much more open and honest dialogue regarding all of these things. That way there wouldn't have been any insecurities caused by the perpetuation of colorism. I would also like to be of the belief that the management was not entirely at fault either and that they did the best that they could in that situation. Almost like with any sort of parent that's trying to raise teenagers and as they grow older, figuring things out and how the real world works, it can be really tough. Especially in regards to how the lineup changes were handled as well. After Naturi's departure, she was then replaced with a new member by the name of Jessica Benson. However, her time in the group would be overshadowed once Keely and Adrian started getting more involved with the Cheetah Girls, leaving Jessica to be by the wayside, as 3LW would not really make their full proper comeback, and Jessica would ultimately just go on to leave the entertainment industry altogether, now working in real estate. However, her social media accounts are known to be very private, and she is also quite notorious as well for blocking anything that is remotely related to Cheetah Girls and or 3LW. Perhaps it is as a way to let people know that she in no way or shape or form wants to be associated with what is perceived by many to be a painful past. What do you make of this, and why do you think, you know, Ms. Benson puts so much energy into that block button on a single daily basis? And yet, for some reason, she's still friends with Adrian, but not with Keely. What does one make of this? Well, I feel like her story is down the least, because like you said, she is kind of forgotten, and that's just because the Cheetah Girls took on more of a focus when around the time she was put in the group. So I think what her story is, I think, you know, she, she just didn't have the best experience in the group so like maybe it's just like brings up painful memories for her maybe so like it's probably in that place where she just doesn't want to think about it too much or just blocks people just like forget it ever happened you know unfortunately like in a weird kind of way that was probably like the the biggest thing that ever happened to her um and why she still friends or follows adrian at least i just think they're they just might have a genuine friendship or something. A pattern I noticed with Adrian is that, like, you know, she does, like, keep friends with people she's worked with in uh, music, movies, TV shows. So maybe she's just that kind of girl that's easy to get along with. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds about right. While things most certainly could have been handled a lot better back then, it is also amazing to see that Keely has moved on from the drama a little bit and has even gone on to say on multiple occasions that she doesn't wish any harm towards Naturi or Adrian. Naturi is making a very successful career in television, and the same thing goes for Adrian, who was able to completely reinvent herself in this current decade with that talk show The Real. Running for nine seasons in ten years, it's really amazing to see like how far she's come from 
you know, 3OW to Cheetah Girls to now she's like currently hosting E! News and it's all thanks to, I believe, you know, showing a good level of ethos, pathos, and logos when she was on The Real. I want to talk about that for a second because I love The Real. Oh my goodness. When it first started out, I think that was like an excellent show that had, you know, women of color at the forefront talking about issues that affect all sorts of people and like stuff that you you really don't expect from, you know, women of color to say on TV and then they did say it and everyone, you know, loved it. They got an Emmy out of it. And I'm just, I'm just like so proud of shit like that existing. It was such a historic moment indeed for women of color on television to be as honest and as transparent as they possibly could while helping a lot of other people in the process. And it's such a shame to see that it's gone now. I still don't know the exact reasons as for that cancellation, but one of the few things that I can kind of attribute that to would be the troubled production over the many years, as well as the several lineup changes, from Tamar being fired to Tamara leaving the show. And then there was the slight downward spiral when Amanda Seals was on the talk show, in which case I believe she might have been a little too real for the real, if that makes any sense, especially with the head honchos in charge not really being fully people of color, if you know what I mean. You're definitely right, because here's the thing. When they hired Amanda Seals, I was, like, all for it, because I knew that she could bring, like, stuff to daytime TV that, like, other people are definitely not going to be talking about. So I thought it was a good idea that they hired her, and I definitely, like, enjoyed the stuff she would bring up. She was, like, she was a little off when they were talking about the Jesse Smollett. You know, I mean, I let me guys get into that. But um, everything else, yeah, I was like, okay, yes, girls, do that stuff. But, like, yeah, I, to, I think in words that other people have said, I do think she was a little too real for the real. So that just wasn't a good fit. Now, when they hired Garcelle Rivera, you know, fancy from the Game Fox show, what was good about that is, to me personally, I think she had um, both the good parts of Tamara and the good parts of Amanda that the audiences would eat up. And her being friends with Lonnie beforehand, I think that made her a good fit for that. Uh, the ensemble that they had uh, no, after Samara and Amanda left. Yeah, I I was enjoying that season. I just missed the audience. There is a slight part of me that does wish the show could return in some type of format, whether it be a podcast or maybe an online type of talk show similar to what the ladies at Fox Soul are doing over there. But in this current day and age, it seems like all of the ladies have moved on to do their own separate projects. Yet, there seems to be nothing but no love lost from that time period, even after Tamar being fired, Tamara leaving, and although Amanda didn't work out, she never held any hostility towards the ladies. Only to the producers, because y'all know what you did. Anyway, we're about to run out of time here soon, so Kyle, I really just want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and giving us a lot of thought-provoking discussions involving people of color within our society today. Are there any closing remarks you would like to make before we sign off? It is that you're... You're doing your thing. I, I want to see her back. Like, this has been so great. I, I love talking to you. You're an excellent host. And, yeah, just 
I wish you the best of luck. You are most absolutely welcome, and I wish you all the best in your future endeavors as well. Give it up one more time for Mr. Kyle. Thank you so much for coming on to the show and taking time out your busy schedule to come to our humble little campus station. All right, y'all. That's been it for this installment of the Pop Culture Pop Quiz Podcast. Tune in same time next week for more thought-provoking discussions on issues that involve our world today from the past, the present, and the future. This has been your host, L. signing off. Peace.